Okay, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate you guys uh, taking time to, to be here. It blows my mind that uh, people in the 21st century actually do this. Uh, and you're to be commended. And uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to be looking in, in Psalm 10. So if you would, why don't you turn with me there? Typically when I preach, I, you know, I'm the big, uh, you know, fill in the note guy. And there's no notes today. Uh, not that I feel like I typically uh, am shooting for people's head. I can just tell you that today, uh, for sure, I'm not shooting uh, at our heads, but at our hearts. Uh, and Psalm 10, wow, is uh, just a crazy place where uh, we get to see the heart of God for uh, a particular group of people. And uh, just before we, we get into the word, would you still your heart with me? Would you bow it before the Lord and ask him to, to genuinely speak to you today? I, I, I know that you know, we're, we're into the conference now, but wow. We've spent this time because we, we want the Lord to do something significant in our life. And could we just ask that he would do that from Psalm 10 this morning? Lord, thank you that we have your book that it is preserved for us in, in our own language and we understand the incredible stewardship of that. You, you've taught us that to whom much is given of him shall much be required. And Lord, I, I pray that in these few moments today that you might help us to recognize our stewardship and I pray that you will be able to remove the human element out of this whole preaching thing. And I, I pray that the, the Spirit of God will do a work in, in me and all my brothers and, and sisters this, this morning. And we ask this for your glory's sake. Amen. All right, so we're all at Psalm 10. And, uh, um, wow, you know, I, I, I wish I had the time to kind of grace the subject, but uh, because we have so many moving parts, so many things going on at, at this conference, uh, I, I, I don't want to come on too strong, but uh, here we go. <laughs> um, the reason I'm saying that is because in, in Psalm 10, wow, man, the psalmist is just being raw, y'all. <laughs> the way we would probably say it today is, man, he's just being real with it. And, and I got to tell you that in Psalm 10, there's no pretense. He's not worrying about being eloquent. This is not an acrostic psalm where he's, you know, working to, you know, spend the time and energy to make sure that the stanzas are all lining up with the letters of the Hebrew al alphabet. Listen, all of that's, all that's wonderful. Love those things. It all has a place. 
But boy, in Psalm 10, that is not where his heart is. The, the fact is, y'all, as he writes this particular psalm, the psalmist is confused. And yet, even more than confused, he's frustrated. And the crazy thing to me about Psalm 10 actually being in our Bible is that he is actually voicing his frustration toward God. Wow, I'm not that guy, man. And again, if you've got that kind of a real relationship and you can just tell God. But man, he is, he's given it here, man. And if you want to understand what it is that he's frustrated about, the last verse of the psalm, Psalm 10 and, and verse 18, he's frustrated over what he sees taking place in the world with regard to the fatherless, to orphans, and the oppressed, the poor. Listen, that's really what this entire psalm is about. Orphans, the widows, the oppressed. And if you want to see what I'm talking about, when I'm talking about it, he's frustrated with God. Listen, we don't even have to look past the first verse because I want you to listen to what he says in Psalm 10 and verse 1. He says, why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? And do you hear what the psalmist is saying here, y'all? He's saying, God, how can you allow yourself to be so disconnected from all the people on this planet who are so vulnerable to the wicked? How can you allow yourself to be so far removed from those who so desperately need you. He's, he's saying, God, it seems as if in the times and places you should be most present. That's when and where you seem to be most absent. You hear that? And the, the, the psalmist question. Can this be God for real? How in the world can you just sit idly by and watch this? I have the distinct privilege of working in the field of Malawi. My partner in ministry is right down here. You'll be able to hear from him. This is Palira Chibwana. If you haven't met him, one of the dearest brothers that I've ever met. We, along with Sam and a lot of you others who have gone to this field, have been able to partner, and there's some exciting things that are, that are going on. But I, I want you to know, man, that what the psalmist is voicing here a real thing, y'all. The oppression that the people all over this planet are experiencing is crazy. 
Can I, can I just tell you about a, a few people? Can I, can I tell you about little Delizzo? This is a little Malawian boy. Uh, in this picture, he's a three and a half. And would you look at his hand? He, his mom and dad both died of AIDS and was being raised by his grandmother. She was the witch doc doctor in the village. And he was hungry. He took a pea and ate it without asking. And his grandmother took his hands and put them in the fire. Oh, no, go, go back. This, the, look at his left hand there. Because he took a pea. I, I want to ask you, how, how is Delizzo supposed to understand that there is a God in heaven and a God in heaven who loves him, cares something about him? How is he supposed to understand that? And now go on to the next one. This is, this is Linda. She had a, a, a young mother, and uh, she took a little piece of bread, and her mother took her hands and put them in boiling water, and this is her hands. You can see that that right hand, it's just like a mitt, man. Just... Melded all. And again, this is, the, this is what the psalmist, this is why he's raw. How in the world, y'all, is Linda supposed to understand that there's a God in heaven who loves her and that cares for her? This, this next lady. Her name's Catherine. Uh, she's a, a widow. She has eight kids. Every single one of them died. She's an outcast in her village. People don't want anything to do with her. In, in Malawi, you know, things like that happen and it's viewed as a curse. And, and, and while we're starving, you're just a... You're just a piece of meat that's eaten what could be feeding our kids. And how's Catherine supposed to know that there's a God in heaven who loves her? This next guy is a guy by the name of Bornface. I'm glad I wasn't given that name. But Bornface has got a, a, a wife and and two kids, and has never had a job. And the reason he's never had a job is because there's not a job to get. And so his whole life is all about going out every day and trying to figure out how he's going to feed his wife and feed his two kids with no opportunity anywhere to get a job. And I ask you yet again... 
How are we supposed to explain to Bornface this God in heaven? It's got this magical, wonderful plan. How's he supposed to comprehend that? Okay, and what we find in Psalm 1, or Psalm 10, is that the psalmist is allowing himself to do what, what very few people ever do. And, and that is to, to look outside of our, ourselves and beyond, and I'm not trying to be an idiot. I am an idiot. I'm not trying to be one right now. But to look outside of ourselves and look beyond the cush little lives that we've created for ourselves, he's actually allowing himself to see beyond all of that, to see what's really happening in the world and the very real atrocities that are literally happening all over this entire planet. Can I share with you an excerpt from a, a third century letter written by Cyprian to Donatus, his friend in, in North Africa? Cyprian writes to him and he says, this seems to be a cheerful world, Donatus, when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But man... If I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Brigands, bandits, or if you will, on the high roads, pirates on the seas, and the amphitheaters, men murdered to please applauding, applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It is a really bad world, Donatus. An incredibly bad world. And, and listen, Cyprian very eloquently surfaces this tendency that we have as humans not to want to view the world from the mountain of reality, but rather to stay down here in the valley where we have our nice little world that he refers to as our fair garden. And you see... If I, if I stay in my fair garden and view the world, then I don't have to see what's really going on in the world. I don't have to see what the psalmist was seeing in Psalm 10. And if I don't have to see it, then I don't have to think about it. And if I don't have to think about it, then I don't have to grieve over it. And if I don't have to grieve over it, then I don't have to do anything about it. And if I don't have to feel the responsibility to do anything about it, then I don't have to adjust my lifestyle. I don't have to adjust my schedule. I don't have to adjust my plans. I can just stay comfortable in my little fair garden. Forgive me. I think the biblical word for it is lukewarm. I can just stay here where it's comfortable. The Bible tells us, of course, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the verse isn't there, so don't lose yourself trying to find that. But, but it tells us that the overriding characteristic of these last days that causes these last days that we're living in to be so perilous 
is that men shall be lovers of their own selves. And, and listen, I don't know how that truth fleshes out in, in your life, but I can tell you in mine that I wake up every single day with great compassion and concern for me. And it's the craziest thing in the world. I don't have to have, I, I need to be reminded a lot of things. I don't have to be reminded of me. I don't need anybody to prompt me to make sure that I am completely comfortable. I don't need to set alarms in my little reminder on my app. Make sure you always have your own best interest in mind today. <laughs> make sure that all the decisions fit your life perfectly. And yet, I must admit, there are times when I find the compassion of my heart broadening out to include all of the people in the entire world that are in my family. And there have even been times when I have been able to ascend that spiritual mountaintop where my compassion spreads to include all the people in the world that I like and that like me and that are like me. And you see, it's just easier that way because if I can stay in my little fair garden and stay away from that dirty, nasty mountain of reality out there that the psalmist is viewing the world from in Psalm 10, then you see, I don't have to, I don't have to see orphans. And I don't have to see widows. And I don't have to see the oppression of the wicked upon them. I can just keep listening to Jesus is my boyfriend songs on Christian radio. <laughs> and I can just keep receiving sloppy wet kisses from him. How that line ever made it into a song is beyond me. Yes, it's one of the most popular songs for the last five years or however long it's been. Probably been longer than that. Yes, how many of you young people know that song? Okay. Yes. He's loving me with a sloppy wet kiss. Make me want to hurl, man. But if I don't have to see all of that, then I can keep coming to my fabulous Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church where I can just continue cramming more and more information in my head that I have no strategy whatsoever of ever implementing and I can dutifully attend on Sundays and I can give my 10% in the offering and enough to missions over and above that to ease my conscience about that lost and dying world that I, I kind of know is out there. But again, if I can do all of that from the confines of my fair garden, I never have to ask myself, what is 
my responsibility to get the gospel to the 750 children in the world that are going to die while I am running my fat mouth in this session. And most of them will die never hearing the gospel. 18,000 of them that will die today. 126,000 of them that will die of starvation this week. 6.5 million that will die this year. And that's just the children. And, and if I can just view the world from my fair garden of my church building, then I, I, I never have to concern myself like Jesus did with comforting the brokenhearted. And I don't have to face the, the millions of boys and girls all over Africa and all over the world who have lost their parents and their grandparents and millions of little children all over the world that are being raised by a 14-year-old sibling. And listen, y'all, they'll cry themselves to sleep tonight with no one to care for them, no one to comfort them, no one to I know it sounds cheesy, no one to cuddle them. I do that with my grandkids, I did it with my kids. No one to teach them, no one to protect them, no one to actually let these kids know that Jesus does know that they exist and he does care. And if I can just stay in the shade of my little fair garden, not only do I not have to think about preaching the gospel to the poor, or healing the brokenhearted, I don't have to think about preaching deliverance to the captives. And I can just continue acting like 15 million bond slaves in India alone don't exist. And I can act like the millions of six and seven and eight year old little girls who are being forced and trained to be sex slaves all over the world, I can act like that's not even happening. But in Psalm 10, what we find is that the psalmist had stepped out of his fair garden. He had climbed the mountain of reality and he was looking at what was really happening all over the world. And like Cyprian, he found it's a really bad world, an incredibly bad world. So bad that sometimes if we do allow ourselves to get up on the mountain of reality to see it, sometimes we, we don't even know what to do with ourselves. And so we run back into our little fair garden so we don't have to see it. And again, where the psalmist found himself was looking from that mountain of reality and it caused him to exclaim to God, again in verse one, why standest thou afar off? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? And it's obvious that the psalmist is disillusioned by the fact that from his vantage point, the all-knowing 
all present, can do anything, God, could just sit idly by and allow there to be such continual oppression being meted out on such helpless people. And beginning in verse 2, he begins to describe what actually happens in a major part of the world. Listen, not 3,000 years ago when the psalmist was writing this, but happening all over the world today. He says in verse 2, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Verse 3, he says, the wicked boasteth of his desire. In other words, the, the wicked boasts and brags about what he's, he's going to do to the poor. In verse 4, he says, the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. And the psalmist is saying, it's just written all over the wicked's face. They have no intention whatsoever of seeking God. God is not so much as a blip on their radar. In verse 5, he says, the wicked's ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far above out of his sight. In other words, they're not even a consideration. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. Whatever. In verse 6, the psalmist says, the wicked think they're invincible. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved, for I shall never be in adversity. In other words, nobody... no. Nobody, including God, is going to be able to mess with me. Verse 7, he talks about the mouth of the wicked, and he says, his mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. You can never believe anything that the wicked say. They're just a bunch, he's saying, they're just a bunch of foul-mouthed, lying cheats. Verse 8 says, that the wicked, they're lurking in the villages, hiding out in secret places, just waiting for some opportunity to take advantage of innocent people, and especially the poor, and not just to take advantage of them, but to even murder them. Verse 9, he hides like a lion just waiting to pounce on his prey. Verse 10, he positions himself to take advantage of the poor. Verse 11, he thinks, and God ain't going to do anything about it. Which makes the psalmist say in verse 12, come on, God. Come on. Lift up your hand and smack the devil out of him. Do something for the people of the world who have been humbled by their circumstances. Verse 13, why do you let the wicked view you with contempt and despise you? Verse 15, come on, God. Break thou the arm of the wicked and evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. And the psalmist is just, man, he, do, do you, is it just because of the emphasis I'm putting on the syllables? Or do you see that he's on a rant, man? Come on, God. Do something. Answer the cries of the oppressed. Now, he's been talking about the poor and the fatherless. These, because of their circumstances that are being oppressed. And I want you to notice that though the passage is really about them, eh, there's really, this passage is about somebody else. The passage is talking about the wicked, in verse 2, the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Verse 3, 
For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire. Verse 4, the wicked through the pride of his countenance. Verse 13, wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? Verse 15, break thou the arm of the wicked. So again, it's obvious. This passage is talking about the wicked. And he's letting us know that the wicked are those who are doing this oppressing of the orphans and of the widows and of the poor. But, but listen, y'all, have you ever asked yourself why? Why does that happen? I mean, for real, how is it that as human beings, easy for me to say human beings, that we have this unbelievable ability to be so heartless and inhumane to those who are the most vulnerable and helpless. What is it that drives that? And listen, this passage actually gives us incredible insight into that question. And here's the key. Yes, Psalm 10 is definitely about the wicked in a broad or a general sense. But the passage is also talking about that man that will be manifested on this earth in the very near future during the tribulation period. And this psalm, in a prophetic sense, is actually pointing to that time. Notice in verse 1 again, Why standest thou far off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself? Watch this now. In times of, say it, trouble. And that phrase, anytime you see it in the Old Testament, it's setting the context for us, pointing to the, a, a time that is still yet future, where there will be intense, it'll be an intense time of trouble on this planet that we commonly refer to as the tribulation period or the time of Jacob's Trouble. And, and listen, one of the things that makes that time so troublesome is the presence of a man on this planet who will actually be the embodiment of wickedness. He is the one who's referred to in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 as that wicked. And notice. This is not my doing. Our King James Bible capitalizes that word wicked. And the reason it does is he is that specific one who is the personification of evil and wickedness. And of course, this, that wicked that he's talking about is the Antichrist. And, and do you know who the Antichrist is, y'all? I'm not talking about, you know, he's the Pope or whomever. I, I'm, I'm saying, do you know who he is, really? He is Satan in human flesh. In the same way that the Lord Jesus Christ is God in human flesh or God in a human body, the Antichrist will be Satan in human flesh or Satan in a human body. And Psalm 10 is actually a psalm talking about that time of tribulation when that wicked shall be revealed that time as Psalm 10, 18, as Psalm 10, 18 refers to him as the man of the earth 
And what he will be doing is oppressing the fatherless and the poor. But listen now, what this psalm actually reveals to us, as does many of the other of the psalms, it's just jam-packed in the book of Proverbs, then specifically spelled out for us in the New Testament. What this psalm is revealing to us is that the Antichrist will actually operate in this world by a spirit. And it is a spirit that 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 calls the spirit of Antichrist. It's the same spirit that Paul's talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 that he refers to as the mystery of iniquity. But here's the key point. Even though the Antichrist has not yet been revealed, that Antichrist spirit, don't miss this, that Antichrist spirit is already operative. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 says, for the mystery of iniquity, here it comes, doth already work. First John chapter four and verse three, in the middle of the verse, it, it, it says, and this is that, that spirit of antichrist, where have you heard that it should come, watch this now, and even now already it is in the world. Listen, it's been around, it's been operative, that spirit of Antichrist, it's been around since the fall. And that's why 1 John chapter 3 and verse 12, when it talks about Cain and why he murdered his brother, it says Cain who was of that wicked one. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 says, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard, that Antichrist shall come. That's the Antichrist. He says, even now. Are there many antichrists? And, and, and listen, that's what Psalm 10 is letting us know, again, along with countless other psalms in the book of Proverbs. Yes, the antichrist is coming. That wicked who is the personification and embodiment of wickedness that's going to be made manifest on this planet, but that same spirit of antichrist by which he will operate do you understand that spirit is operating right now all over this planet listen not just in Malawi, not just in India, not just in Bangladesh, and we can go on and on, but listen, right here in Kansas City, the spirit of antichrist, a spirit of oppression is operating. And, and that's why there's all kinds of evil and wickedness being meted out upon the fatherless and the widows and the poor. You know, we, we asked earlier, how in the world could it possibly be that humans could be so inhumane? You know how? It's being driven by the satanic spirit of antichrist. Do you understand that? And what's crazy, y'all, is that what most Christians really don't understand that what's taking place all over the world every single day is a battle 
between the spirit of Christ as he seeks to operate through those who have been born again by the spirit of Christ in contrast with what is happening all over the world through the spirit of Antichrist as it seeks to operate through those who have been blinded by that spirit of Antichrist. Listen, and whereas the spirit of Antichrist is characterized by wickedness, would you listen, my brothers and sisters? The spirit of Christ is characterized by righteousness. Whereas the spirit of Christ is, or is Antichrist is being characterized all over the world through oppression, the spirit of Christ is characterized by compassion. And whereas the spirit of Antichrist is characterized by the denial of the Father and the Son, 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, the spirit of Christ is characterized by denial of self. And let me just say to you, there's not much more of a travesty in the universe than somebody who has been born again by the spirit of Christ still living under the domination of the spirit of Antichrist. Amen? And yet in the 21st century, I'm afraid it happens more times than not. People who profess to know Christ and yet we allow iniquity and sin and evil and wickedness everything that is of the spirit of antichrist to operate in us and through us. People who know Christ. I mean, we have been delivered out of the domain and the dominion of this world and, and Satan and the spirit of antichrist. And yet we go back into it to live our life quite contrary to what Jesus told us in Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, thinking that our life consists of the abundance of the things that we possess. And oh my, y'all, it is such a travesty. I mean, th think about this. The spirit of antichrist dominating those of us who possess in our souls the spirit of Christ. And because that's what happens in real life in 21st century Christianity, you know what happens as a result? The spirit of Antichrist continues to operate all over the world, beginning right here in Kansas City, bringing oppression to orphans and widows and the poor. And just like the psalmist says here in Psalm 10, it looks like God is nowhere to be found. It looks like God doesn't care. It looks like he has turned a deaf ear to their cries. But I want you to hear this this morning, y'all. He does hear. And he does care. And the psalmist, praise God, turns a corner in this psalm. 
No, Psalmist says in verse 14, Lord, you have seen it. You do know what's up. You do see what's going on. You are the helper of the fatherless. And so he says in verse 15, so God, break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Verse 16, you are the Lord and you are the king forever. So remove all of the oppressors out of the land. Verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Verse 18, and you will judge, you will bring justice to the fatherless and the oppressed that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Can I ask you, how does God do that? How does he hear their cries? How does he become the helper of the fatherless? Jesus will answer. The cries of the oppressed. And again, contextually, we're talking about orphans, widows, and the poor. But here's the crazy thing. By the time he does hear those cries, what we're going to find out is that the answer to their cries will be us. Do you get it, folks? The spirit of Antichrist is sweeping through the world, bringing oppression to the helpless and the vulnerable people on this planet. But the Lord has deposited his own spirit, the spirit of Christ in us. And his plan is to minister to them. When we show up, and we, as the body of Christ, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23 says, we are the body of Christ. Listen, we are his eyes to see their needs. And we are his ears to hear his cries. We're the body of Christ. We're his feet to go where they are. We are his arms to hold them. We are his hands to touch them. We are his mouth to speak words of hope and comfort them to them by speaking the gospel to them. Because if you have been in these parts of the world where that oppression is, you understand the only hope for them is not just a bunch of love, but the love of God. It is the love that we explain to them through the gospel. And that's why Galatians chapter two and verse 20 says that we are to remember the poor. I, I, I don't have the, the verse on the screen, my bad. Hebrews 13, 2. You know what it tells us? Remember them that are in bonds. You know the rest of it? As though bound with them. Do 
Because let me tell you, if I was bound, I'd be thinking about me. And he says, remember them that are in bonds. As though bound with them. That's why James 1.27 tells us pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Because you know, you know why? Because false, impure, and defiled religion that operates by the spirit of Antichrist oppresses the fatherless and the widows and is char characterized by worldliness, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But pure religion, those of us who get it, this is how it operates. And you see, this is why Psalm 68, verses 5 and 6 says that God can be a father to the fatherless. And a judge, one who brings justice of the widows, is God in his holy habitation, but not because he sits out there at distance, in some distant place. He shows up through the body of Christ. And look at what he does. Verse 6, God setteth, no, no, God setteth the solitary in families. The solitary, you get it? Those who are alone. The fatherless and the widows. He setteth the solitary in families. Really? How? You remember a little delito that we, we talked about earlier? At the Passion Center for Children, Palira is the, the national director for that. Uh, we're heavily involved in what is the Passion Center for Pastors, where we, where we train pastors. But a whole other layer is the Passion Center for Children. And, and so you know what happened with little Delizzo? I, I, I was there the day that he showed up at the Passion Center. At the Passion Center, we, we and the laws have changed, you know, since all, all of that. But, but listen, we, we could only take people, children who were of school age, okay? And, and so the government came to us and, and said, hey, we don't know what to do with this kid. We can't put him back with the witch doctor grandmother that's abusing him and oppressing this little kid. Can, can you guys do anything with him? And of course we said no. And so you know what happened? God heard his cry through the body of Christ. And, and there's Malawians that are a part of our staff that have loved on this kid. Teams of people, hundreds of, 
Americans have made the long journey to go over and be the arms and the hands of Jesus and to be the voice of Jesus to be able to tell little Delizzo there is a God who has heard your cries and he loves you. And that little kid, I'm telling you that day, that, that look on his face, he just stood there, man, a shell of a human being at three and a half years old and through the love of Jesus. Do you see the change when Jesus came and made a difference in that kid's life? He, he's older than that now. He's, he's just about to be a teenager. He's come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. He, he, he struggles like, like our teenage kids struggle. But listen, you ask that kid, does, does God love you? Oh, he knows. Because the body of Christ showed up. You remember little Linda? You see that? That poor little thing, man. Precious is all get out. Oppressed by the wicked. And, and this little girl, listen, the body of Christ has shown up. You see that little girl in the middle? She is just the epitome of life. This is what she looks like today on the right. She, she gets the highest awards at her school for uh, academics. She memorizes the word of God. She loves Jesus. And if you ask this little girl, does Jesus love you? Did God hear your cries, she's going to say yes. And it's not because he came down to the planet again. He showed up through the body of Christ. You remember this widow that lost eight of her kids and being oppressed by those in her, her village? Through Polaris Church and the ministry that they have to wid widows, they've gone out and She's become a part of a, a group. Listen, every single day, one of the ladies from Polaris Church goes and becomes Jesus to this woman. She's come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as her Savior. They're helping her with her, her physical needs. And, and listen, you know what has happened? Jesus showed up in her village and heard her cries you remember Born Face? The guy that didn't have a job every day, struggling to, to feed his family. You remember Chris and Joni Weaver who left their fair garden in Columbus, Ohio, began to see from the mountain of reality and said, we got to move to that mountain. And, and so, you know, he, he went, uh, Chris, as a businessman, trying to just figure out what, it, what, what could we do to, to help. And, and so that with the church planting and the training that we're giving to these pastors, how can this become sustainable? And, and so, you know, I, I don't have time to get into all of that, but here is this, you know, bigwig businessman who is taken up farming in Malawi and has bought now 35 acres that are all connected. And, and would you go to the next one? Uh, go, 
These are the, the workers now that have found a job. All of these are the full-time workers in that area. Where they are, it's sitting right next to the village where Bornface lived, a completely Muslim village. And as they've given people jobs, this is just the full-time workers. They, they, there's times where they're employing 85 different people in, in this area. Go, go back if you would. And the uh, Bornface, do you see him there right in the, the middle on the back row with the red shirt behind there? He finally has a job. Listen, I went to his house uh, in October. My wife and I's closet is bigger than his house. Dilapidated thatched roof, water, no doors. It gets cold in Malawi in the winter. Rainy season comes, and I, I'm, I'm looking at that, and I go, I, I don't know how a human being could possibly live like that. And, and here's a guy that was going out every day trying to figure out how to feed his family. And, and what was happening with these field workers is every day they would have a Bible study. And through that born face, called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to save him, Jesus showed up through Chris and Joni Weaver and the body of Christ and others from Mulanguzi Community Church. And now this guy that never had a job in his life and didn't know how to feed his family, he has worked over the last several months and and he has built this house. No, uh, go to the brick house. That may not look like much to you, but that's a little bigger than my walk-in closet in my bedroom. And, and notice that roof, man. That's, that's big time because water's not going to come through on that. And he did that by working. Nobody handed him a dime, not a red cent. Nobody handed him anything. And through this Bible study and the people that are coming to Christ, now go to that picture of the, yes. There were so many people that had come to Christ, they said, hey, we need a church. Muslim village. We need a church. This, this is not... Midtown Baptist Temple. It's not as nice as this. But that's where the body of Christ now meets in a village that was totally oppressing the poor. Can I show you the opening day? This is Palera on the front row. This is the pastor that was sent out that's next to him on, on Palera's right. This is the opening day of... The, uh, the, the, the church that now exists in that area because the body of Christ showed up because Jesus hears the cries of the oppressed and The need is all over the world, y'all. 
It is literally all over the world. Malawi just happens to be a place that God put in my lap. This connection with this brother is, in, in my estimation, it is, it is just crazy what is happening right now. We're training over 500 pastors. We're training them in the field and how to, to sustain themselves and they're teaching the people in their churches how to sustain themselves and how to tithe so that we're not dependent on Western money to come and do things that they can do for themselves. Once Christ begins to operate through them, through the spirit of Christ. And, and I, I just, I say to you, my brothers and sisters, that could you over the next several days, could this be a time where we step out from the shade of our fair garden and through the word of God this week, climb the mountain of reality and see what is taking place in the world and maybe see our own lives. Listen, pure religion and undefiled is not just visiting the fatherless and the wicked in their affliction. It's keeping ourselves unspotted from the world, the spirit of Antichrist. And maybe this is going to be a time where we finally cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit so the spirit of Christ can work through us so that the spirit of Christ can cause us to show up in parts of the world and do something crazy with our lives that will make a significant difference, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And I've overstayed my welcome on this, but I, I just ask you to climb the mountain of reality with me and let's see what it is that God might want to do through us, and, and again, not, not just in Malawi. Man, I want you to come. <laughs> we need help. But, but there's other parts of the world that are just as needy. And God may have just something crazy that he wants you to do, but listen, before any of that can happen, we've we got to cleanse ourselves of all filthiness of the flesh and the spots of the world and the, that antichrist spirit that's still dominating our lives. thought my cat like reflexes were going to be able to get that. Okay. Lord, I pray that the, the spirit of the psalmist in Psalm 10 has been the spirit uh, that's operated in, in this room. I Again, pray you'll flush any of the human element and only leave that which is of the Spirit of God. But may the Spirit of God work in our hearts. May this be a significant time where we stop, as Pastor Jeff said last night, stop looking for the mystical and start looking at the, the biblical call and the invitation given to us to go be the body of Christ to the oppressed all over the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.